All right, get your Bibles out and why don't you go ahead and begin to find 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And as you're finding 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to be reading in just a moment from verse 14. I want to share with you uh, just a report. Uh, as some of you know, uh, I've had the honor of being asked uh, by Pastor Larry Stockstill of Bethany World Prayer Center to help him uh, disseminate uh, the principles of his remnant book. And uh, I'm a part of the remnant movement. I'm the representative for this state. And uh, it's a network of pastors that have just linked up together to encourage character and integrity again in the ministry. Uh, I asked Jerry to post a couple things on the screen for me. Uh, I'm just letting you know what another aspect of pastor's calling is. So uh, you can uh, pray for me and uh, in some ways I think link up with me because how many of you know if the pastors get right, the nation gets right. And uh, if it all flows from the head, then we certainly need to get the head right. So the remnant movement and, and the vision of it is to persuade every American minister to adopt a lifestyle of accountability and to build irreproachable systems of wisdom into his and, and we could say slash her life because uh, we know many... Many women are uh, participating in the ministry as well. And, and really, that's what we're about. We're just persuading, again, the clergy of this nation. Come on, let's get our act together. Let's begin to, one more time, uh, be able to give folks uh, a model or something to aspire to. And the goal is to restore the influence, then, of American ministry upon the culture and to prevent an imminent national judgment. And Hebrews 13, 18 says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably uh, in all things. And uh, there's just a growing group of pastors and, and leaders all over America that are convinced that a part of America's problem is the pulpits have become fireless. The pulpits have become, become tepid and apathetic. And uh, while it is true, we need to teach the people about certain areas of relationship and interaction, and these things are certainly in order, but, but we've got to call righteousness again uh, into the hearts and call them back to a, a fiery relationship with the Lord. And uh, we just believe that's an important aspect. In fact, the early uh, founding fathers of our nation clearly said that the reason America uh, won the Revolutionary War and the skirmishes that took place in order to create this nation. Most of us know that this nation was created not because people were trying to find a better economic climate, but they came because uh, God had so moved them to come to this nation and to create an establishment and literally create a nation that would honor God. And of course, we've drifted far, far from those early dreams and goals and visions. And so uh, we're doing our part to work with those in the ministry in order to bring back a sense of, of credibility again. And this week was the national conference. Once a year, I slip away to go to this national conference. And as always, whenever I go to uh, uh, Bethany there in Baton Rouge, it's always powerful. It's revelational. I always hear from God. Whenever I go there, I'm just amazed. It's one of those places that I can go. I can receive ministry. And I always hear the voice of God somehow, some way, whenever I'm there. And uh, it's always inspiring. 
And so I took copious notes. And for those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, you were able to see those last few days. Man, I was just posting all these bullet points there on Facebook. And I am of the opinion that while Facebook can be used for corrupt measures, I believe all things, all things are to give glory to God. And I just hide all those friends that post those nasty things. I just hide them. And uh, I just say, I just say, I'm going to hide you, but you're going to have to watch me. So that's what I do. I just hide them and then I just proclaim the gospel. And that's what we do. We get in threads and, and we just stand for righteousness. And I believe it's one of the ways that we can penetrate the culture. Do you know that there are 500 million people on Facebook? There are more people on Facebook than exist in America. And uh, I understand you've got to be careful. And the Internet can be an incredibly uh, ensnaring thing for people. But just put the appropriate guards on it and uh, then preach the gospel through it. So uh, that's what I'm endeavoring to do. So if you've been on there with me, you've begun to see just all those particular posts. I'm still digesting everything that's been downloaded to me. Uh, and I know it's going to take some weeks and maybe months to just begin to disseminate that into all of you. But I know many of you like to hear uh, the report, get a small taste of what happens when pastors get to go to church. You know, pastor doesn't. I know you say, well, pastor, you're at church today. No, pastors don't get to go to church. It's, it's, a, it's a different thing when you're thinking about everything that's happening in order to facilitate a service. So every now and then, we, we have to go away, get to go to church. And there were approximately a thousand pastors that were there at this gathering. And it had grown uh, several hundred from last year, so that's encouraging. And uh, it just does something to you when you see that there are men of God and women of God who are wanting and aspiring to some level of character and integrity in their life. Do you know that every revival in history has had as a major component of it holiness? If you're crying out for revival, folks, you've got to understand what you're crying out for. You're asking God to move in holiness again. And I'll just say that our current non-biblical, now listen to what I'm saying, non-biblical overemphasis and aberrant distortion of grace. Now, I, I believe in the grace of God. It's all over the Bible. But we have, we have twisted grace to mean something the Bible doesn't teach. And I'm just telling you, grace, it's never been the grace message that's led the church to revival. It's really been the holiness message. And so God's grace is there. God's grace is important. God's grace is vitally essential in our relationship to Him. But uh, in Jude chapter 4, and you, you don't have to turn there, but it says... Uh, the writer Jude says that there are those who have twisted the grace of God into licentiousness. They have twisted this grace into something that God never intended for it to be. And we're living in that day and age even now where, where people have no fear of God. There is no sense of impending uh, judgment or repercussion. And again, I believe in a good God. I believe in a God that wants to help me and heal me and even prosper me. And, and He wants to, as I humble myself, to exalt me in order for kingdom purposes to take place. I believe all of these things, but we have corrupted it into a self-serving, self-centered, it's all about me gospel. And uh, that is what is being changed. And at this particular conference, I was able to hear, uh, I think, a, a fairly well-known pastor by the name of Rick Warren. Uh, fairly notable, I think. Just had a little book come out a few years ago. Uh, you know, just sold a few hundred million copies of uh, Purpose Driven Life and then Purpose Driven Church. And uh, I was able to listen to him uh, in main sessions as well as be able to fellowship in smaller venue 
of about 40 pastors. And as you know, and I'll just say it out loud, I'm personally not an ascriber to the seeker-sensitive philosophy. Now, if you're a guest here today or you're new, um, we don't want in any way to alienate you. We're glad you're here. We want you to feel comfortable in the house of God. We want you to enjoy being in church. We want you to come back, as Pastor Noah said, we want you to come back two, three, five, ten, twenty times. And then join us for the journey. And we want that. So we want to do whatever we can in order for you to connect and, and feel good about that decision. But, but I'm just going to say it out loud. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him. See? And uh, I went and I was somewhat skeptical, I'll be honest, that I would get a whole lot. I've read all of his books. I know a lot about it. But I was pleasantly surprised that uh, what he had shared and what was being shared uh, was good and appropriate and needful. And I found myself uh, even repenting. Is that okay if pastor just confesses out loud that every now and then pastor has to repent? And I was repenting for even some attitudes that had fostered and been harbored that I needed to take care of. You know, there's an old adage that I know because I've studied church history and it's an important one and I think it's a good place for me just to share it with you. It's an old adage that goes like this. That the student of the teacher oftentimes carries the truth farther than the teacher ever intended for it to go. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. I know uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin is probably one that could be called the father of the faith movement. He taught on faith. But you know, the problem is, is that Brother Hagin taught, I believe, faith appropriately in many, many ways. But a lot of his students took it to a place I don't think he ever intended for it to go. Can I just share this with you? Your faith was never meant to have you go out to the local Lexus dealership and lay hands on a Lexus so that you could exercise your faith to get you your Lexus or to get you your Mercedes. Now, there's nothing wrong with driving those cars, but can I just share this with you? God, it's not about getting a Lexus. You may need a car to get you somewhere, but how many of you know a good old Chevy Trailblazer can get me to my next kingdom assignment? And, and, and when you start hearing this stuff about just, just using your faith just to prosper in unrighteous, even selfish ways, it, it's twisted. That stuff's twisted. Come on, let's exercise our faith for millions, but God will give us millions in order that it can be funneled through for kingdom purpose. God's not making millionaires so you can just get stuff that's going to burn up anyway. He wants to get you resource so you can trust Him and, and, and be a conduit through which kingdom matters can be attended to. But it happens. It happened in Paul's time. Again, just using the grace message in Romans 6. Paul said these words, should we continue in our sin? So that grace might increase. May genote. God forbid. May it never be. What was happening? Well, he taught on grace, but his students were taking grace to the place where they thought they could sin with impunity. And because they sinned with impunity, God would give them even more grace. So that was a good thing. We'll just keep sinning. And the more I sin, the more grace I get. Isn't that convoluted? But what happened was there were some students that took the ball further than the teacher ever intended it. And to some extent, I believe that probably has been the case with regards to Pastor Rick Warren. You know, he may have pioneered some of this seeker stuff, but what he teaches and what I heard is certainly different than what I've seen others morph into. 
So I'm not going to hold him responsible for students that have twisted what he said any more than I want to be held responsible for anyone twisting what I said. I, I, I want to be quoted accurately. And so I, I should give him that same benefit. But, but I listened to a number of things that just gladdened my heart. I, I, I was gladdened. I, I heard him clearly, clearly teach on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He was clear. Any rumor out there that says he's compromised on the exclusivity of Christ, well, I'll just say this. I didn't hear that, and he'd have had to have been lying to me because it was clear on that subject. I, I uh, was heartened by his personal integrity and his holiness. You know, he made a gajillion dollars writing that book. You know that there's no other book that's ever been printed and published and disseminated besides the Bible that has sold more copies than his purpose-driven life. Can you fathom what the royalties on that would be? I can't even fathom what the royalties on that would be. But despite that, do you know that he drives an 11-year-old car? He lives in a 19-year-old house, the same house that he lived in when he wrote the book. He wears a Walmart watch. No boats, no planes. Very simple. He came up just wearing a jacket, golf shirt, pants, tennis shoes with no socks. thought you could have at least worn some socks, bro. You know what he did? He, he not only gave the appropriate amounts of money away and being benevolent with the Lord and the tithe and the offering, do you know he paid back every dime his church ever paid him for 25 years of salary? He paid back every dime of that. To where now when reporters ask him with their sense of skepticism, how much do you make? He's able to say, I don't make a dime. I don't take a dime. He gives away 91% of his income. How many of you would like to be millionaires? Could God trust you with that if you give away 91% of it? Maybe that's one of the answers. I don't know. I saw humility. I saw a servant spirit. Spending time with pastors and people. Heart for evangelizing. I'm going to share just a story at the end of this that really touched my heart. And I think it will touch yours. Seeing people converted, not just making decisions. Now, I, again, I, you know, you can think what you want, hear what you want. You know, the Internet, you can put anything you want on the Internet, and it's hard to respond to. But I'm just telling you what I heard, I was heartened by. So uh, what other people have twisted his instruction to mean, I guess they'll have to stand before God. But it was good for me to hear, again, from the horse's mouth and uh, for me to have the appropriate attitudinal adjustments uh, that I needed to have in order that we could labor together. Now, again, I heard so much stuff, I can't give it all to you. So I've, I've tried to coalesce all of these things into a presentation this morning. And again, if you're a guest, uh, if you ask my members, they will tell you, well, that's not exactly what pastor does. He usually yells and hollers and does a lot of other stuff. So if I don't do as much yelling and hollering, how about if I say this? Somewhere in the middle of the message, I'll yell and holler so you'll know a little bit of what I'm about. But uh, I, I really just wanted to share some things, and I, I put it, kind of coalesced it with my own thoughts on it. And if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 4.14, 4, I want to read you some things that I think can speak to us all. This is what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, I do not write these things to shame you. He had just spent three chapters really in a, an extended rebuke. He'd rebuked them for all sorts of things. He'd rebuked them for their jealousies. He'd rebuked them for their pride. 
He, he's fixing to rebuke them for their immorality. He, he, will, he will later say, I, I can't even believe that I'm hearing there's immorality in the life of the church and that you're doing these things. He's rebuking them for their carnality and their selfishness. He's rebuking them for their divisions, their competitions, their jealousies. They've already there at the church at Corinth begun to divide and split their churches up into here's Paul's church and here's Apollo's church. And then here's the real spiritual crowd. We're Jesus church. And so they've got all these different uh, churches beginning to uh, split and divide and he rebukes them on these sorts of things. Now, he goes on to say he knows they're gifted. They're moving in the things of the spirit. And yet they're having all of these problems. They're spirit filled, but they got problems. I'll say that again. They're spirit-filled, but they've got problems. And so he writes it down. He says, I didn't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, Imitate me. Wasn't Paul just a bold person? Verse 17. For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Verse 18. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly. <laughs> I love that because... I'll, I'll translate that. What he's saying is dad's coming home. And I got a stick in my hand. I know you don't think I'm going to find you, but I'm coming home to find you. I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or in love? And a spirit of gentleness. It's your choice. It's interesting that. That the church at Corinth. They had so many things going for them. With regards to their spirit. Filled existence. And their spirit filled life. Their giftedness. Their ability to flow in the things of the spirit. And yet Paul begins to. Uh, rebuke them. And to admonish them. Because truth of the matter is, though they had all of these things working for them, they had zero cultural impact. They were inward. They were, they were myopic on themselves. We read all the different issues they faced. They wouldn't wait on each other at love feasts. They would, they would distinguish amongst each other uh, because of economic reasons. The rich people could get there early, and so they'd eat up all the food, and the poor people would show up later. There was nothing for them to eat. And so they, they were totally self-consumed, and Paul rebukes them. Because they have become carnal, there's no cultural impact, and it's time for them to get the house in order. Now, this is what I want to say. The church today, especially our circles, are much like the Corinthians in their weaknesses. I mean, we have full gospel churches, and we will sing the contemporary songs, and we will raise our hands, and will receive prayer and the Spirit will move and the gifts will manifest. And these things are good and they're needed. And, and let me tell you, I'm an apologist for these things. I believe these things exist today in the world and, and they need to be manifested in the life of the church. But our problem is we've lost our credibility because we have so many areas of our life out of order. We have ministers, well-known ministers who fall and they get rehabbed in 30 days and they're back up in front of a watching world and the world is scratching their heads. 
Now, do I believe in restoration? The answer is yes. Yes, I do believe in restoration. But, but the key isn't just finding forgiveness. It's addressing the issues that got you in the ditch in the first place. To not just go back out and to begin to disseminate and do the same things you did over and over again. And so Paul begins to just work with the Corinthians here. And uh, he begins to just lay some things out that they need to begin to address. Now, all of these subject areas that I'm going to give you are all things that were touched about while I'm away. I'm on a national phone call once a month. In fact, I'm on a couple different phone calls a month that we're connecting with pastors all over the nation. You know, we're digging into our lives. We're making sure we're on target. We're keeping our focus where it needs to be. We're being admonished. We're being corrected. We're being loved. We're being encouraged. The whole gamut is taking place. And so uh, I just want you to have some level of confidence that, you know, what I say, I'm endeavoring to practice myself. But there were some things that were going on in the Corinthians that they weren't connecting the dots on and in. And so Paul begins to share, even in these few short verses, some things that I think are really important for all of us to hear. I know it's important for pastors to hear. Number one is this. Why did this occur then and why does it occur now? That they're not having any cultural impact. Number one, they had information, but not revelation. See, the difference between information and revelation not to be indelicate, but it's like this. It's the difference between understanding the biology of reproduction and being able to walk into your bedroom with your wife and to enjoy the fullness of intimacy. You understand there's a difference between the two. You can know how the biology works, but there's difference between knowing the mechanics and experiencing the reality. That's the difference between information and revelation. You see, the American church knows a lot about Jesus. We know all the gospel story. We're fixing to walk into Easter one more time. And we're going to hear one more time the story of his passion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're going to hear about the cross. We're going to hear the story one more time. And in America today, there's so much gospel preaching on TV and cable and radio and just wonderful ways to hear the gospel Many, many people have information about Jesus, but they don't have revelation about Jesus. You see, revelation, revelation is the only thing that brings transformation. You can know something and it will do you no good. There are backslidden people in the world today who know more than I know. But their information does them no good because it's not turned the light on as revelation and cause transformation to take place in their living. It's the, yeah, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt syndrome. That's how we've become in the church. Yeah, yeah, pastor, heard this again. I'm hearing it again. Been there, done that. Walked the aisle, signed the car, did the thing. And you know what? It's not affected us in any way, shape, or form in the way we live or the way we walk. Now listen, until you walk in what you know, life will never work for you the way God intended you got to walk in what you know. Otherwise, it's just theory. You just went to school and listened to someone give you theory until you jump out of your theory and you begin to put it into practice. It'll never, you'll never see miracles, transformation happening. It'll never take place. You can amen me and rah-rah me and we can cheer together. And I like it when you amen. Can you say amen? 
See, I like to see that's just like saying stick them to a dog when you say amen to the preacher. And we, but we can amen because we know the information, but has it become revelation? Heard people for years, they'll, they'll talk about faith, but they'll never walk faith. Talk about believing God, but they've never believed God for anything. They have information, but no revelation. So that was one of their problems. It's that problem in pastors' lives too, man. I like everything neat, tidy, and in order. And as I mentioned during the offering, please, Lord, get it to me beforehand so I don't have to worry about it as I'm walking it out. I wish it worked that way. But it's never worked that way in my life. God has always asked me to trust Him. Because I had to get a revelation on it. Will you believe him? Number one. Number two, it says they had teachers, but not fathers. Teachers, but not fathers. The greatest need in America today are spiritual fathers. In fact, I believe revival probably hinges more on the men than the women. Sorry, ladies. God loves you. We love you. You've done incredible things all through the centuries. In fact, if it weren't for the dear, sweet women who have kept church doors open through the years, we would have seen churches collapse all over the place. I mean, women will keep the church doors open. They'll pray it open, keep it open. They'll be there. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And I, I affirm every single godly woman in this place this morning. But I just have to just a little bit hold you to the side and look at the men and say, guys, if revival's coming, it's time we grew up, stood up, and began to walk like men of God. That's the greatest need in America today. Both biological spiritual dads which means that if we have natural children, we should be a spirit. Don't leave it. Don't leave it all to mom. Now, I know mom does a lot, may pray with the kids, help them a lot. And moms have a wonderful place in the lives of their children. But don't leave it all to mom. Come on, you get up. You lead them to the house of God. There's some things you can do. You can say, yes, we will be there today. Everybody's moaning. And you say, don't moan. I don't want to hear it this morning. We're all getting up and we're going to the house of God. Not figurehead fathers. Yeah, we all clap. You made a baby. Hallelujah. So the plumbing works. Praise God. That don't mean you're a father. Come on now. Let's arise and be real fathers. Now, here's the deal. That can't be forced on you or me. Whether it's a natural dad or whether they're spiritual fathers. I believe they're spiritual fathers. And, and, and you can't force yourself on people to be their spiritual dad. But you've got to want that type of fathering and input and seek it in your life. Now, uh, there, there, there's a minister, and you may know the saying, and, and you, know, I don't, you know, people don't have to agree with me in totality, and I don't agree with everyone else in totality. But I heard this the other day on the television that I thought was a pretty good statement. And this is what the statement was. You have no right to anything that you haven't pursued. You have no right to anything you haven't pursued. You ought to write that down. You have no right to anything you haven't pursued. What does that mean? It means this. It means that if you're wanting something in God, if you're wanting some promise He has, if you're wanting some download, some DNA input, then you've got to start pursuing it yourself. You've got to rise up and begin to pursue. We have people pursuing teachers for information, but we need to start pursuing fathers for revelation. Are you following me? And I've reached the place, I guess because I've done it long enough, and now I'm getting into the second half of my life, that I am done chasing people who don't want what God wants. Now, that doesn't mean I don't love them, don't care about them, don't want the best for them. 
But I looked at Trace the other day and said, Trace, if they don't want what I have, then I'm done trying to force feed them. I mean, we're happy to input anybody that wants input. But I'm just telling you, it is time we grew up in the church and started pursuing what it is that we desire. It's time to break this old school model. This wasn't at the conference. This is just me now. Should have been at the conference, though. But, you know, we lived through this era, and some of you are old enough to remember this era, and it's time we just grew up and grew out of it because I believe this era is over. But I grew up in an era where you were halfway taught in seminary or graduate school that it was somehow the pastor's job to beg you to be in church, to beg you to read your Bible, to beg you to get the small group, to beg you to be on time, to beg you to be spiritual, to beg you to arise and get your wholeness, to beg you into your healing, to beg you into getting some help. Listen, if, if we've got to beg you into something, you ain't going to get it. Come on, you've got to arise and pursue and press into something. Something is wrong in the church if they've got to be begged to be there. If they've got to be begged to get before a God who can bless them and help them and raise them up and do what they want. If you don't, if you don't want it, then what can I do about it? But you can rise up and you can go after some things. I mean, I remember when, I, when it was time for me, in the old fellowship that I was a part of, I was a part of a fellowship of ministers for almost 20 years. Now, can I just say, that's a long time. There are a lot of friendships there were a lot of relationships, but the time had come and I knew it was coming that my former pastor was transitioning. He was he was retiring. I, I knew the transitional processes. I can go through all the things that were going on, but it was just the season for things to change. I'd been there 20 years. I would say that's faithful. I was there for a long, long time. And uh, I looked at Trace and this is what I said to Trace. I said, Trace, it's time we found where we're supposed to network and fellowship and connect and this is what I said. I said, I'm not looking for a place just to network. I'm looking for my pastor. See, that's what I think every, listen to me, that's what every Christian ought to do. Don't just, don't just say, I'm looking for a church. You got to start looking for a pastor because a church has lots of people. It can be a good church, but you're needing to get some download. And God uses a person. I'm just going to start getting bold about this. God uses people. He uses pastors. He downloads revelation through people. Listen. And I looked at Trace and I said, Trace, I'm just not looking for the biggest network or the glitziest network or the sharpest network. I'm just not looking for those who just want me and will come beg me. I'm looking for my pastor. I'm on a search. And I can't go through the whole story, but I will tell you this. I pursued. And finally, I, I remember when, when we came to the conclusion. Because for us, we're together and we were looking for something we could work with that way. And I remember revelationally when it came. When Pastor Rod Aguilard, uh, we, we finally met him through a series of events. And I said, I, this is God. This is God. I know this is God. Now, I'm going to share something with you right now. Because you think it just happens to you, but it happens to all of us. We started going to our church, to our meetings, and the things we needed to be with. Now listen to me. Nobody talked to me. Now Tracy, Tracy will tell you the story. I'd be standing there and I didn't know anybody in the room. Now the whole time, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is really how people feel when they come to church, which is probably good for me. But I'm standing there going, nobody's talking to me. Nobody wants to even know who I am. 
Nobody, 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 nobody's doing it. Listen to me. You know what suddenly dawned on me? It's that phrase that you have no right to anything you haven't pursued. And so I got to the place and I said, well, you know what? Maybe they don't like me, but they're going to like me. Hi, my name's Kevin Baird. What's your name? Some of them look like I was interrupting them. I don't care. Now, listen, that's not my normal disposition. My normal disposition, you know, I can go into a crowded room and stand in the corner and really I'm kind of okay if I don't have to interact with people. Which isn't, hasn't been real helpful as a pastor through the years. But, but I just started doing it. And, and of course, I met some people and went through the whole thing. And then, of course, you go back to where you're, you're laboring. And then, and then the time comes for another meeting. So I went to another meeting and nobody remembered my name. Now, you've got to understand, I spent 20 years in a fellowship. I was a big wheel in that fellowship. And I'm a big zero in this fellowship. But listen to me, you have no right to anything you haven't pursued. So I went to the next meeting. Nobody talked to me. Well, what did you do? What did you do? What? I got offended. Isn't that what you do? You just go get offended. And then what happens in your offense? You get nothing. So what'd you do? What'd you do? I just went and said, hey, we met last time. My name's Kevin Baird. Remember me? Can't say that I do. You were here last time, huh? Yeah, I was here last time. Don't remember you. <sighs> I'm telling you, it was, it was years, two, three years. It would have run off the best of you. You'd have walked out and said, ain't no, I ain't going back. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. You have no right to anything you haven't pursued. I decided I was going to get me. I'm, I, that's, God spoke. I'm getting it. I am getting it. So, well, what did you do? Hey, you know what I did? From day one, I stroked off my tithe to them. And they didn't even know my name. So I can't believe you did that. That's why you don't get blessed like I get blessed. It's why God doesn't move for you like he moves for me. I just decided I was going to start saying things. You're thinking, I'll do, it when they, I'll do it when they reach out to me. That's your problem. You'll do it as long as you control it instead of obeying God. I decided I wanted, I wasn't looking. And to be candid with you, I wasn't looking. The, the other stuff's good. The relationship's good. The other pastors and friendships with them are good. But my pursuit was for my, my download from my pastor. God was saying, that's your pastor. You just, you just pursue. Now, let me tell you, it took years, took some years. But this is the amazing thing. You just keep being faithful. And suddenly what happens is you don't have to push your way into something. You're invited into the something. Suddenly, all of a sudden, I got a call one day and say, Kevin, how would you like to be on the apostolic board? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you, 99% of the people in your network don't even know who I am. Guess they will now. And I can tell you right now, there are some people who are probably saying, how did he get there? That happened years ago one time at, at Evangel. I'll never forget that. I got put on staff and I had a guy stop me in the hall one time. And just looked at me and said, how'd you get on staff? I said, well, thank you for the encouragement. I, I appreciate that. 
How about God? I don't even know what my point was here. Oh, breakthrough. Yeah, pursuing. We have 10,000 teachers. Teachers are easy. You get your information, you go home, and it never affects your life. But when you, when you, find, when you find your pastor, when you find the, the spiritual dad, and I'm not, not, we're not twisting this stuff to make it mean something I don't mean, but it's, it's when you get your download. I mean, you've got to break through to some things. And I'm just encouraged. The, the, the modern America, American church won't do that. As long as you keep pumping out what they want to hear and what's tickling their ears and it's making them feel good, and, that's, and then they're here and they're gone. But he rebukes them. He says, you have teachers, but you've got no fathers. I got to go on. Number three, they were instructed, but they weren't discipled. That's kind of like the last one. You might want to write this down. I wrote this down. Discipling is application with input and follow-up. Discipling is application with input and follow-up. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, imitate me. Discipling is really follow me. Follow me. Come on. Follow me. I know, I know you're following the Lord. I know, I know you're following the Lord. Come on, I am too. That's discipling. Discipling is when maybe you're just a couple steps ahead of someone else and you're able to say, dude, I, 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 can, I can help you avoid a pothole or two if you just come on, follow me. I'm going to help you. And I've heard this through the years and you've heard me say it before. There are people that go, I don't follow a man. I know. And we're watching your life. I know we all see it. We, we, we measure the fruit of it. I have no problem saying, I've, I've looked at my pastor and said, Pastor Rod, you tell me what you want done, I'm there. You need me somewhere, one call, that's all. I'm there. And I mean that. Now, is that always easy? No, that's not always easy. But, but you know what? I'm smart enough to know this. If that man has been serving Jesus all of his life and he's 71 years old, he's pastored through storms, he's lost children, he's been thrown in jail for his faith, He's walked this thing out with criticism and, 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 and all the things that he has done. Can I just say this? It would be an affront for me to say, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I found Jesus. Now, he does too. And we all ought to. But for most of us, when we say, I follow Jesus, what that means is, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Because I can dodge Jesus a lot. Amen. Come on, Amen. They were instructed, but not discipled. I mean, we all need discipling up close, personal in our life. We don't have that anymore. We have a lot of talk, but not much application. Number four, I got to hurry. They were inspired, but not corrected. The church today is out of order because there are few who are willing to receive correction when they're headed the wrong direction. Now, can I just share this with you? It is virtually impossible at a personal level anymore to look at people and say, don't do that. It's almost virtually impossible. Because if, if it's on a personal level, they'll automatically be offended and that's over. It's almost, it's getting impossible at a preaching level. Because whenever we try to bring correction pastors at a preaching level, it's interesting how difficult that can be for people to receive that even though you're preaching out of the scriptures. Now, I'm grateful as I listen to all the other horror stories in the earth I'm personally grateful, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, for you all and, and the core people that have been with me now for years because you have endured me. 
And because you've endured me, you're to the place that you will receive from me the word. Even if it's kind of tough to chew. And it shaves close. And there's not much gray to it. Well, wouldn't that, that's another good sermon. We ought to preach the sermon. Let's get rid of the gray. The gray area in the church has become larger and larger and larger and larger. So now everything's gray. Nothing's black and white anymore. It's all gray. See, now I'm hollering. If you're a guest with me now, you're getting a taste of Pastor Baird. This is what I do. I love to be inspired. I like when inspiration happens. But truth is, I need correction. Why? It's because I'm human. And I don't personally want to devastate my life. But I will be if I'm not vigilant in allowing that to take place in my life. But the Corinthians, they were inspired, but they weren't corrected. Number five, they were released, but they weren't accountable. It says in verse 18 here, interestingly, he says, now some are puffed up. The word literally means arrogant. They were arrogant. They were in the church. They were just arrogant. They were, they were functioning in whatever ministry assignment. They were arrogant because they knew Paul wasn't going to come and check on them. When the cat's away, what? Yeah, that ought to be in the Bible, in Proverbs somewhere. Now listen to me. This is, this, is our, this is our status in the American church. We are the same way. We are arrogant and we are puffed up. Why? It's because we know that 99% of the pastors in America don't have the temerity to keep us accountable. They don't have the guts to look us in the eye and say, no. Now, I love you, but no. I want you here, but no. I mean, we just don't do it. Why? Because they might leave. I, okay, they might, but, but this is about Him. It's Him, and it's about us. Do we want Him? The Corinthians did not want to be called on their immorality. They did not want to be called on their divisions and their carnality. They wanted to live the Christian life with no repercussions. And the fact of the matter is they did, but they were of no impact. Why? Because the world's smarter than that. The world can look at our mess and they just chuckle and they say, what, what good is the gospel when you're not living any different than I'm living? Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. You get the bumper sticker that says you're forgiven, just not perfect. I forgot. I forgot. Number six, they had relationships, but not roots. You know, we network today, but we never really connect we have a generation that treats church like a series of choosing restaurants. Guess I'll eat here this week. Well, yeah, I'm going to eat over there next week. I heard they serve it up pretty good over there. We got to check that one out. And so we go here, we go here, we go here, we go here. And we transplant so frequently that we never get to bear roots. Do you understand that if you went out in your backyard and you transplanted a plant weekly... And you just did it weekly. Just transplanted a, a plant. It is a biological fact. You're going to kill that thing. Because it has no time to bear roots, to sink down, to drink from that thing. Now, 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 this is what was going on in Corinth. It is the first time, Corinth was the first time believers had options. 
You just read the first few chapters and you'll see, as I mentioned, that he said, I hear there's divisions amongst you. There are some that say, I am of Apollo. There are some that say, I am of Paul. There are some that say, I am of Jesus. Do you understand? If you're at Apollo's church and and something twists you, I'm just going to go to Paul's church. And then something twists you at Paul's church, you say, well, I'm being led to Jesus' church. And then Jesus does something to you. I can't believe, I can't believe that. Well, I'll tell you what, and then you come back over here. I should, I, well, I shouldn't have left in the first place. I, and this is what we do. We just, we just, we're just in this ever circular pattern. See, their reluctance to plant was really the key to other issues. We've got to plant these days. Now hear me when I say this. I believe there are seasons. I believe there are reasons to leave. Okay, now I'm a pastor. <laughs> the old joke is, that somebody asked the pastor one time how many folks were on the roll. And he said, it all depends. You want the ones rolling in or rolling out? I mean, it's just... You know, a lot of times I feel like I'm preaching to a parade. You know, welcome, hello, goodbye. You know, welcome, hello, goodbye. It's just a parade. Now listen, there are reasons. There are reasons to make changes. I don't want, to, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. There are reasons to transplant. There are reasons. I believe there are reasons that pastors are led in other directions. I, I'm not saying that you never move, that you're concreted in one place forever. But I'll just tell you this, if you're, because this is what I'm talking about. If you're moving from here this week, there next week, and it's just like here to here to here to here. And you ask people, where do you go to church? Well, I'm, I'm a part of the universal body of Christ. What that means is you're accountable to no one. I've got it. I understand that. You can fool yourself, but you don't fool me. We've got to plant. And when we plant roots, it says the tree that is planted by the waters will flourish and bear much fruit. Amen. I'll make you say it, whether you want to say it or not. How is it corrected? I got to hurry. I'm always hurrying. Number one. I think there are several things. I think pastors in particular, Christian leaders have to aspire to holiness. If we teach and believe that everything flows from the top, then there is responsibility to make sure that what is flowing is healthy. I take that seriously. You know, I'm not, I'll be the first one to admit, am I absolutely perfect? No, because I'm not Jesus. But at the same time, I ought to aspire to greater levels of holiness and character and circumscription in my life. Because I want what flows out to be as healthy and as pure and as pleasing to God as possible. As, as humanly possible in the grace of God that empowers me. I can't do this on my own. Now we're getting to the true grace of God, which empowers you to live victoriously. I want something good to flow down to you. My prayer oftentimes, almost every Sunday is this, Lord, help them catch the good stuff and let the bad stuff go somewhere else. Unless we turn the pulpits and the pastors around, folks, we're going to lose a nation. I learned this new phrase while I was away. I did get this at the conference. I like this one. I I picked this one up. I'm going to, I'll give credit to where credit is due as Pastor Larry said it. You know, the next time I say this, I'll say somebody said it. And then the third time I say it, I can say I've heard this said somewhere. And then the next time I say it, I'll say, I've always said this. (laughs) 
But here's the principle. Listen to this. What you see is what you see. He was telling the story of a, of a, Christian, of a Christian music artist that was coming into their church. And he was traveling with a female personal assistant. They were in the same hotel. They were staying in different rooms. But it wasn't his wife. Now, that looked funny. Christian musical man artist coming in with his female personal assistant on a plane staying at the same hotel. They were in different rooms. It just looked funny. And so it was told to them that that looked funny and, and you know, they, we, they were going to have to change that arrangement. And on the other end of the telephone, the guy said this. The guy started quoting all that stuff out of 1 Corinthians about Christian liberty and not eating meat, you know, to idols. And he was going through the whole thing and you can't judge and yanny, 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 yanny. And they just finally said, listen, you're either going to you're either going to come in with a male personal assistant or you're going to come in with your wife. But we aren't bringing you in and certainly paying for it this way. And they ended up having to cancel the event. Now, can I just share this with you? Let's go back to the principle of what you see is what you see. Three months later, his marriage collapsed because he was in an affair with that woman. Can I just share this with you? If it doesn't smell right, look right. It probably isn't right. I'm, I'm tired of being naive. I know we all want to think the best of everybody. I know nobody wants to judge. I was sitting at a table myself with my children and my wife at a table. This has been years ago with a traveling minister that was in. In fact, it was the second time he had ever come to be with us. And we were sitting at the table. We were talking about some things. And actually, Tyler was there. And he was asking Tyler about his future, future relationships and about, you know, uh, if, was he dating anybody or was he going, you know, to, to, to uh, get married? And it was just a couple of different things. And uh, Tyler didn't have anyone at that he was seeing or anything else. And then he asked, he saw a particular lady in our congregation, a girl in our congregation. And he looked at Tyler and he said, well, how about her? And all of us together just said, well, to be candid with you, she's probably not where she needs to be spiritually. And by the way, as parents, we are involved in our kids' relationships. I have no apology for this. I'm praying for a born-again, on-fire, tongue-talking, blood-washed young woman that's going to walk with my son down the aisle. I don't care. People, they say, I don't want to get in my kid's relationship. Well, you just being dumb. I'm all over that thing. I looked at my son Clay, and he was in one relationship, and his mom caught them on the brink of something they ought not be doing. And you know what? We just, we just were the Holy Spirit and said, that relationship's over. Because why? Because I'm in authority. You say, well, the kids ought to have freedom. I pay for their freedom. You're as free as I want you to be. If you want to be free, go get you a job and go get you an apartment and Put gas in your own car and buy your own insurance and get your own clothes. Let me tell you, you want freedom? Then you'll go find out how much freedom costs me. Freedom in free. But we were at this thing with this, this, this guest minister. And, uh, and we said, well, you know, the young lady, I mean, I know she, she's a likable young lady. She certainly is a beautiful young girl in the natural, beautiful young girl. But she just really, she's not where she needs to be spiritually. And this was his response. He said this. He said, who cares? Just, just, just date her and somewhere, you know, you can get her right with God. And I remember we walked away. And you never want to think bad about anyone. Who wants to think bad about somebody? But can I just, I'll go back to the principle. What you see 
is what you see. When the, but about a year later, I heard his marriage collapsed. He'd been in a relationship with another woman. See, I heard it come out of his mouth. I knew where that was going. You see, we, 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 we got to quit being naive. We got to aspire to holiness. I'm not judging people. I'm just listening. I'm not, I'm not trying to think bad. I'm just observing. What you see at times is what you see. After a while, that's how it is. If I'm seeing and smelling something, there's probably something in the woodshed. It is time... It is time pastors aspire to holiness. I want you, I, I'm trying to draw you up to something greater and something higher. I want that for you. I don't want, I don't want to drop to the lowest common denominator so we all can be defeated, so we all feel better about each other. It's time to aspire. Christian leaders must aspire to holiness. Number two, I believe there should be a strategic investment in people. We do many of these things already. Jesus loved everyone. How many of you know Jesus loved everybody, right? Amen. Come on, I'm making sure you're with me. Jesus loved everyone. Listen, he fed the crowds. He fed thousands, both naturally and spiritually. He trained 120. He discipled 12. And really, he mentored three. See, Jesus understood that really the crowds are not where change occurs. Now, I, I would love to have crowds. I'd love to have the resource of crowds because I can think of a thousand things in God that could be done with greater resource, greater people resource. I, I mean, oh, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm full of vision that could be accomplished. But I understand this, that it's not the crowds that change the culture. It's not the crowds that change the world. It's usually one or two. That's why God whittled an army of Gideon from 32,000 to 300. He understood that that crowd wasn't going to do anything. But if you could get just maybe 300 together, they could literally beat back the nations. You see, Jesus started it. He understood in 2 Timothy 2. Put that up there. It says, there, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Next verse. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit those to who? What's that word? Did it say sporadic? Does it say haphazard? Commit these to people who are part of the universal body of Christ who go to a church here, there, and everywhere. No. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here, here's my greatest hope. Whatever I've got, I've, and I may not have much, but whatever I've got, can get so downloaded into some of you. And these are so important these days because, because I'm telling you, legacy is going somewhere and there's going to be a day we'll yearn for this setting again. I mean, this is kind of a smaller, intimate setting. You get to see me up close and personal. You know, you can see me sweat and the beads of oil. And the... But there, there's an intimacy that can happen in this room right now that isn't going to happen in the years ahead. But you will have been here. And there's something getting downloaded even now as we talk. You're not just catching more information. I believe there's a spirit of revelation in this place. And it's getting downloaded into your spirit. To where the things that I'm, I'm downloading into you, you will in turn teach others. 
And that will change literally the world. We invest in people. See, God's not looking for the spectacular. He's looking for the sacrificial. God's looking, God's looking for heroes. He's not looking for celebrities. I posted this one. It was a great one. Heroes sacrifice for other people. Celebrities sacrifice for themselves. There are a lot of people who sacrifice, but the only thing they sacrifice is to get themselves further. But a hero sacrifices for the sake of someone else. That's what we're investing. That's why, that's why legacy has its own DNA. That's, that's, that's why we're important in this region. I, we, we affirm every local church and every vision that's out there. But our mission is, is that we're, we're creating heroes, not just celebrities. Number three, and then I'm ending with this. We've got to redefine the measuring, measuring stick of success. These are just some things I think we can do. And we are doing by God's grace. Redefine the measuring stick of success. I wrote down here, the definition of success is this. Those who know you best respect you most. Some of you don't know me very well, and from a distance you may respect me, and and I'm glad for that, and I'm honored by that. But can I tell you what's more important is not that those who don't know me very well respect me. What means more to me is when my children respect me. And my wife, who's walked with me for 29 years, respects me. And some of you who have been with me since 1997, you respect me. That means more to me than maybe standing up in front of a great convention or conference and everybody ooh-ah and wheeze over something and, and they think you're the greatest thing since, you know, blocked ice and, and you, know, they, you're, you know, you're the new, you're the new guru. You're the new, you're the new church, you know, Messiah on the scene. You know, that stuff, you know, maybe it has a little affirmation to it. But the fact of the matter is, success is when those who know you best respect you most. That's success. And that might not be the throngs and the crowd. I can tell you right now, there are people that they plant their faces on television screens, both in the church and in the world. I'm sorry, I watch a a rather famous Christian television network and I see who they plop up there in order to raise money for them. And I'm sorry, I'm just sorry, I don't respect that. So you're judging again. No, I'm not. What I see is what I see. Because I know behind the scenes, their wife doesn't respect them. And their children don't respect them. And we can call it successful if we want, but you're using the wrong yardstick. It's interesting to me. Never never confuse prominence with significance. It can be seen, but that don't mean it's right. 2,000 years ago, Paul went to Rome. And it was while he was in Rome that he was captured and Caesar beheaded Paul. It looked at that moment 2,000 years ago that Caesar was the success. But isn't it interesting now 2,000 years later that we name our sons Paul and we name our dogs Caesar? Isn't that true? This is the last story and I'm done. Can I get someone to help me? Um, hey, Jason, you're right there. Go, go take one of those chairs off real quick, the end, and just bring it up here on this and I'm done. Rick Warren told this story that so touched my heart. His dad, his dad was a pastor. In fact, he is actually, just you can just set it right there. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, Jason. 
His dad was a pastor. In fact, he's a fourth generation pastor. And uh, his dad had never pastored a church over about 100 people. In fact, he planted about 60 plus churches personally in his lifetime. Rick Warren never grew up in a church over about 100 people. About the time it got to 100, 150, his dad would move and he'd plant a new church. That's what he knew his whole life. So as he talked to us, some of us who have churches that are obviously the size they are, it would capture your attention. He talked about how that his dad in later years had contracted cancer. And, uh, and uh, out of that cancer, it began to eat his body. And it was the last days of his life. And he said that his dad was laying in bed. The cancer was ravaging his body. And he said he would, he would come in and out of consciousness. He was only lucid for short periods of time. And uh, he'd sometimes just say things and other times he'd just sleep. He'd mumble and then he'd come back awake. And he said that the last hour before he actually passed away, it was the last hour before he actually slipped into the hands of Jesus, his dad suddenly awakened and became lucid. And this is all he said for an hour. One more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. You know, I, I have found out through the years as I've visited people in hospice situations and in hospitals, and whether it be because of the disease or because of the medication, because it, it removes the restraint mechanism inside of us that keeps us from sometimes saying stupid things and dumb things, that's just gone. And whatever's in you just comes out. Some people, when they get into that situation, say all sorts of terrible, hurtful, vile things. I don't know that we can hold them totally responsible, but it was interesting that his dad, who his whole life had planted churches and reached people for the Lord, all that kept coming out of his mouth was one more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. And then he'd, then he'd sleep. And then he'd wake up again. One more soul for Jesus. I got one more soul for Jesus. And he said in about the last 15 minutes, he would begin to struggle. And he would try to move over to the side and get out of bed. And he keeps saying, one more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. And he said his sister was there. And she'd say, Dad, Dad, you're sick. You can't get out of bed. There's no way you can get out of bed. He just and he just he'd say nothing else but one more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. And then Rick said he pulled his chair up and he looked him in the eyes and he said, Dad, Dad, you can't, you can't get up. You can't do this. You're sick. You're dying. And his dad, as he was saying, one more soul for Jesus, lifted his hand, put it on his head. And he said, Son. One more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. One more soul for Jesus. And I was sitting in the crowd and I was listening. And that story in and of itself will move you. But I started thinking, if my restraint mechanism was gone... And whatever was in me just came out of me. What would I say? Scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks.
I hope you know I love, I love you with all of my heart. I'm, God willing, I'm going to be with you the rest of my life to where maybe some of you will actually see that moment. I guess we'll find out. But can I just say, I don't want, I don't want coming out of my mouth. One more minute at work. One more minute at work. One more minute at work. I don't want to come out one more, one more toy to go purchase. One more, one more minute with my hobby. What's going to come out of her mouth? What will have been downloaded into us when it's all, when it's all said and done? Sometimes I just think I'm just this really weird bird. Because I do this because I really believe Jesus is real and he's coming. Our time is relatively short. And we're not, we're not serious about eternal things. So if, if you hang around here very long, you're going to find out this is a serious place. This, is, this, isn't just, this just isn't a better life. This is life and death. This is eternal. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now that you would move amongst us as a people And that you would begin to shape us and work in us the things that would cause us to be profitable for kingdom use. Lord, I thank you for this people. I don't know of another group anywhere in the nation or in the world that I would rather do life with than the ones that have gathered here this morning. I think, Lord, I'm beginning to understand what Jesus felt when he saw his people. He saw possibility. He saw the future. He saw what could be. And Lord, I thank you that you've given to me a people who, Lord, so far as I know, have received and indeed are pretty serious too. But Lord, I just know you're just talking to us. You're always calling us. Deep calls unto deep. You're always beckoning us to open our hearts, to pour in more revelation in order that there can be greater transformation. Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just work and you just stamp the question in people's minds and hearts right now that that if everything was pulled away and the restraint mechanism was no longer there what what would we say over and over and over again would it have any kingdom value at all or would we just be full of the world and full of ourselves lord these are the moments i think that you can really rearrange us i'm quite sure there are some here that are Indeed, absolutely on the right track. Lord, I suspect, though, there are others that probably you're working on. 
But whatever the case may be, I pray that we would make the appropriate response. Holy Spirit, do your work. I can preach, I can teach, I can share, I can tell everybody what I think, I can holler, I can yell. But I can't reach into a human heart. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can do that. So would you do it right now? I'm going to have you stand here in just a moment. Don't stand quite yet, just a moment. This is what I want to do before we go. I just, I just want to give an opportunity to, to gather around the wells and the altars of the church. Not so much to put people on the spot and to say, you know, things haven't been right. Then maybe they haven't been right in your heart. It wouldn't preclude that. But I, I want us to gather as a church that will say, Lord, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to be a Corinthian. I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want a life that has no impact. I don't want. I don't want just a flashy show and a spectacular looking life, but there's no substance, no depth. Lord, I'm crying out for something real. I'm signing up for the real deal again. Lord, empower me to live well. Empower me to finish my, finish my race, finish my course. It's not about how you started, it's about how you finished. See, all of, all of Rick's dad's life as great as it may have been, culminated in the last few steps before the finish line in a never-to-be-forgotten moment when he said one more soul to Jesus. It didn't happen by accident. It happened because he was willing to embrace what God was doing. And, and I just feel like as a church, we need to cry out and just say, Lord, I want that. I, I desire that. I'm just telling you as a pastor, I, I stepped out from my seat and I made my way down to an altar and I knelt there and I said, Oh God, Thank you for all that you have done. So far as I know, I've been on the right course. But when I hear things like that, my heart is just laid bare. I want, I want to finish well. I want my children to hear something out of my mouth that's of kingdom value. Lord, I want my church to be known as a church that's just radically committed to kingdom values, as imperfect as we all know each other are. Lord, do it right now. Some of you right now, God's messing with you right now. Maybe I said something, I don't know, but I'm going to open up right now the wells of the church. I don't want anybody to stand. I just want you to stand up and slip out and, and, and just come and kneel here with me. And we're going to cry out before we go this morning that God would just one more time fashion us and form us into the people into the people that he's looking for well, just stand right where you're at just slip out and just come and join me we're going to pray one more time we're just going to gather up here one more soul one more one more opportunity to share to witness just
Well, this is your opportunity. You start, you start crying out. Don't wait for me to pray. Come on. This is your opportunity to say, Lord, rend my heart. You're talking to me in this area, and I, I'm, I'm going to get on the stick on this thing. I'm signing up. I'm signing up for a lifetime. This is lifetime commitment. This isn't, this isn't a try, try you out for 90 day appeal. This is a lifetime commitment. Your heart hasn't been right. If, if you would say to yourself, that's not really what would pop out of my mouth, then you know what? Then ask God to send the angel off off the altars with the coal of fire to purge your lips and let him begin to work in you so your words may be just those words. One more. Just one more. Just one more. One more. Give me one more chance to pray. One more. Give me one more altar call. One more invitation. One more message. One more sermon. How about it? I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pray for us one more time. But I don't want to leave you out. Sometimes when we stand, it's easy because we're already moving that we can just slip out and do it. But I just want you right there to stand up in the middle and just say, "That's that's me. I I want to I want to just bear my soul before the Lord for a few moments before I leave today." It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're in sin or something egregiously wrong is in your life. Sometimes I think we look at the altars of the church and we think that's only for needy, needy, weak people. Well, yes, it's for them. But sometimes those of us who think we're strong need to understand that God uses us even in greater forms when we're weak. When when I am weak, He is strong. Sometimes if we think we've arrived, that's the moment that we need to say to ourselves, I'm I'm not there yet. I, I appreciate, Lord, where you brought me to, but I, I know that I've got more of the journey ahead. Come on, right now, let's just together. You just agree with me. I'm not going to have you repeat after me, but you just you just agree with me and by saying yes, and I agree, and amen. But Lord, right now, we just believe you called us to a, an important thing. Lord, I believe that you have called not just me or my wife or our marriage or our family, but Lord, you are calling people. You are calling these people. There are some right now, Lord, I believe you are, you are messing in their life with responding to the call of God. I believe that there are missionaries in this congregation, Lord, that you're beginning to talk to, but that they don't know for the life of them what to do with it or how to do with it. And I'm just saying, Lord, let them know it starts just by saying yes. Yes. You're calling some to greater depths of, of sacrifice. You're calling some to step into a new adventure. You're calling others to reach out to people around them. You're giving them assignments. You're, you're, you're causing them to walk in courage. But Lord, you're not leaving us the same as we were when we came in this place. You're downloading. You're downloading a not just a new brand of Christianity, but you're, you're, you're downloading really the, the, the old brand, the old paths, the old wells are being redug for fresh water to come forth. 
Lord, I just pray today that that even as, as we sense the solemnity of the moment, Lord, that the life of God would flow out of that. And that you're redeeming people right now. And as they're, if they're seeking forgiveness, that, Lord, there's forgiveness. If they're seeking cleansing, there is cleansing. That the blood of Jesus will restore them and raise them up and set them on a path that they will become profitable for the kingdom. Lord, work it in us as a people. Work it in us as a people. And we just begin to say we love you. Come on, whether you're still in the congregation or whether you're here at the altars, can you just begin to say before the Lord, I'm all out for you. Come on, Jesus said the two greatest things was to love God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All he was saying was, I want all out. And can you just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm giving you everything I've got. And as much as I know, it's all yours. I'm all out. I'm all out. And then he said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's about, it's about reaching and, 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 and extending yourself to others. Whether that's witnessing or leading them to the Lord or being compassionate or gracious or encouraging. Maybe it means all those things, but it's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about what we get. It's about what we can give. And can you just right before we sing and we end this morning, can you just commit with me, Lord, we're all out. Let this be an all out place. Lord, let it be all out in our praise. Let it be all out in our worship. Let it be all out in our living. All out in our commitments and our consecration. We break the spirit of gray living in our life. Lord, let the cross begin to set the line and define it. Lord, we're, we're aspiring to a new level of holiness and circumscription before you. It's not a duty and it's not a burden. We are living in, 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 in debauchery and despicable times and a light needs to come forth. A victory that distinguishes our Lord in the midst of a people who are destroying themselves. Lord, we are all in and we are all out. Stamp that spirit on us this morning. Let us be transformed today by the revelation. Oh, let it not be just information, revelation. Let the lights turn on and let it change us now and for all eternity. And Lord, we love you. Just right where you're seated or right where you're kneeling, can you lift your hands and just begin to love on him right now? Just begin to thank Him. Thank Him that He's calling you into His army. Thank Him. And though you may not feel like you're much, you're great in the hands of God. And though you may not think there's a whole lot you bring to the table, God says, little is much if I'm in it. Come on, great is He because He's in you. He's not, looking, he's not looking for the sharpest and the greatest and the glitziest. He is looking for humility and sacrifice and simplicity. And in that, He can distinguish Himself. Come on, we are going to become a paradoxical people. We are going to begin to demonstrate that it's not in the hype, but it's in the holiness. It's not in the celebrities, it's in the character. 
It's not who starts the fastest. It's who indeed you endures to the end. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to such a worthy endeavor. Yeah, let's stand. Come on, let's stand for it.